past three weeks called God Did It. Everybody say God Did It. And uh, what I mean by that is, is that when somebody comes up and you start to talk to them and, and they're asking you how, how, you know, how is this going on in your life? How, how come you have so much joy? Really the only answer it is is that God did it. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, we are today going to be looking at uh, the final of the three weeks, um, a, a subject called the Radically Transformed Life. The Radically Transformed Life. We, um, we basically, are in our uh, mission statement, we talk about uh, wanting to see with every individual that they would have a radically transformed life. And we've been breaking it down. First week, we talked about the radical pursuit of God. Last week, we talked about the radically transformed church, and what we talked about is that we are his church, and we have a transformed mind. We have been renewed by the spirit of our mind. We have a transformed calling or appointment that um, we talked last week, we talked about sitting at his feet and just uh, uh, being clothed in, in the armor of God and being in our right mind. So being radically transformed, you know, Christianity to me, even as a child, it, I came to a quick understanding that being a believer has everything to do with Christ. In fact, it was all about Jesus. I've, I've shared in my testimony that, you know, I had years where I went away from the Lord, but at a very young age, I remember at age six or seven, I've shared this, where I was just listening to the Christmas story at church, and I'm sitting there, and everybody's having a party and, and listening, whatever, and I'm sitting there with tears in my eyes as a little guy because I'd finally realized the truth about Christ and about God giving us his son. So, so even as a child, I understood this, but through the years, I had to learn and come to a deeper understanding that it wasn't just enough to say that I was a Christian, that it would actually require a commitment. It's not just something, it's everything. There's change. There's going to be days that I'm going to have to persevere. It's, it's, a, it's a relationship with me and the Father. And that I have a story to share. Amen? Each and every one of us have a story to share about what Jesus has done for us in our lives. Um, by the way, it's good to see you, Jeremy. Come on, can we put our, he's been, he's been across seas while working for our military, man. Just one of, our, one of our supreme divers in the military, and we're so thankful to have him home. He's been gone, how many months? Six months. Wow, good to have you home, man. Dean and Sarah um, wrote a book called The Unsaved Christian. I just actually received a copy. It was going to come up for you here on this picture here. And he discusses where some people get really confused of what it is to be a Christian. Um, we have those that uh, are the country club Christians. And what we mean by that is, is that it's very self-focused. They will bounce around from churches to churches until they find one that they're comfortable with. And then it's more of a, it's a social club. It's where we get together and we have the fellowship, but there's, there's, there's no push to do anything outside the doors. There are the CEOs, the Christmas and Easter onlys. These are men and women that come to church because it's tradition. Um, they're obligated to come. It's, it's holiday focused, but there's no impact on their lives. There's the God and country Christian. This is the red, yellow, black, and white. It doesn't matter what color of skin, but, but you are proud to be an American. You, you have values. It's gun and Bible. There's liberal social justice Christians. They're motivated by specific social justice issues. It's where conspiracy theories rivals truth and scripture, and they will compromise bi biblical teaching in light of cultural whims. There's the moralistic therapeutic deist. This is the good guy next door. 
removing guilt by being good, and Jesus just happens to be a mascot rather than Lord. There's the generational Catholic, or you could even say the Baptist or any denomination you want to put in there, but it's about religion. It's about rites of passage that you are because your grandfather was, and it carries extreme guilt to be loyal to its tenets. There's the mainline Protestant. Generally believes vague things about the Bible, that you can have Christianity without Christ. Let me explain this for a second because I think there's some that go, there's no way you can have Christianity without Christ. My grandfather Shaw, I didn't know about this. My, my whole life growing up with my grandfather, I didn't know until he was on his deathbed with cancer that he actually didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that he didn't believe that Jesus was the only way to heaven. He went to the church of Christ. His entire life went to the Church of Christ. I heard him pray over all of our meals, you know, to God the Creator, God. But I never did. I never knew that he didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And I remember when I found out, I was at the hospital with him in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I, I write a three-page front-back letters just begging him to to accept Jesus because I didn't want to live eternity without him. And 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 the miracle story is is that my mom before he passed away led him to Jesus. And so, so, so the mainline Protestant, that the Bible isn't inerrant, which what I mean by is that the Bible isn't without error, and at times believes that the Bible is irrelevant. And then you have the good old Bible Belt Christian. And this is religious heritage, but Jesus has very little impact on your life. I was 15 years old. I was living in Bristol, Oklahoma at the time. And we had just finished our soccer season. We were undefeated. We went to the Northern Oklahoma State uh, Championships for that part to go to state. And we lost in the, in the championship game to go to state. And so we'd had a great year. We were over at the house celebrating at, at the soccer coach's house. And, I, I mean, I loved him and his wife. His wife was one of those ones that you ever known somebody that talks so loud it's like they've worked on a highway their whole life? And she, she would just be, you'd be sitting this close to her, and she'd be talking to you so loud, you know. And I would go into her house, and she's blaring. They're blaring ACDC and music and all this. It was just a fun place to be. And I hear her at some point getting into an argument with another parent where she says these words, Am I a Christian? Honey, I live in the Bible Belt. I'm sitting there, and I'm not living for the Lord at that time, and I look around at the guys like, did you just hear what she said? Because I'm like, just because you're raised in Oklahoma doesn't mean that you're a believer. Is everybody with me on this? You see, we have talked about radically pursuing God, that to be radical for Christ could be as simple as just that you have chosen to be consistent in your relationship with him. We've talked about the radically transformed mind. That we are renewed in the spirit of our mind, that we are, that we are not the same, that, that we have been transformed. I know that for, for a fact in my life that I am radically pursuing God, that I have been given a, a mind and a new heart for Jesus, that I have been renewed, that I am no longer the old math, that I am a new man in Christ. I would even say it this way. We talked about metamorphal. I have been metamorphosed. It's going to come up right here. I don't know if that's Greek. You know, I, I think Dr. Dana would challenge me on this one right here. But that's the way I'm going to say it is that I've been metamorphosed. I've even thought about, like, my wife, you know, how sometimes, look at this, how she can be like this on the left and this in the middle and then transform into that on the right. Come on. 
my, the, my, and the funny thing is she's pretty in all three of those pictures, but, it's, but I would rather have the one on the right. I, I you know. <laughs> she's going to see that in the second service, so pray for me. <laughs> Today we're talking about putting all this together, living a radically transformed life that we talked about that we need to get into the Word of God, that, that we need to hunger for the Word of God, that we need to start thirsting for the Word of God, that when we open it, that it just has impact on us. We talked about how the unfolding of Christ is taking place in our lives so that we can be a light to others. We have talked about being radically committed and consistent, that there's evidence of life consistently living for Christ, that we are not the same, that we have new minds, that we have been changed, that we have been fully transformed. I would even say it this way, I would never be able to go back and sin the way that I used to, not since I've met Jesus. I'm tempted, we all are tempted, but I could never return to be the same old Matt because I have met Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. The Passion Translation says it this way, And with no veil we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being moved, being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. Isn't that great? You know, Jesus kind of challenges us in Scripture where we all love that Scripture. I'm here, I'm, I'll put the first one up here, Luke 10, 2, where it says, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Here's the truth. Let's just, let's just be very, very basically truthful here. What that is telling us, and I think we understand this, is that the harvest is out there. Does everybody understand that? That we have family members, we have friends, we have, there are those that do not know Jesus. So there is a harvest, but Jesus is saying, we don't have enough workers. The CSB says it, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. And then, and then in the TPT it says, the harvest is huge, but there are not enough harvesters. Jesus isn't talking about people who claim to be Christians. Jesus is talking about people who have been radically transformed in their lives, that are having an impact out on the field. I want to I share some scripture now, and I want to build this entire rest of this message on the story of Saul. And I'm talking about not King Saul of the Old Testament, but Saul who later becomes Paul. And I would say this, just so that we can get this out of the way, Saul, at this point in his life, when he is introduced to us, all he cares about is uh, stopping this movement of the way. He wants to crush Christianity. And so when we begin to start to hear about uh, Saul, in chapter 8 and 9, we see something very consistent about his life. Look at this in Acts 8, verse 1 through 3. Now Saul agreed to be an accomplice to Stephen's stoning and participated in his execution. And then Saul mercilessly persecuted the church of God, going from house to house into the homes of believers to arrest both men and women and drag them off to prison. And then literally in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it's the same thing. Look at this. Then Saul, 
still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from, for, from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found anyone who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So the way, the way is talking about anybody who is of the way of Christ, anybody that has accepted Jesus as their Savior. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. We're going to come back to this to, to talk about what does goads mean. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So I want to get into my first thought that when we encounter Jesus, and he begins to radically transform our lives, we will go from blind to seeing. We will go from blind to seeing. Um, I, I can't remember when I got glasses. I, I had to get glasses for like a year when I was studying at Bethany, um, just from the tremendous amount of studying I was doing, but then I didn't wear them again. And I think it was about eight years ago I had gone to an optometrist, and he, he did the tests on me. And I could tell what he was doing was making me see better. But he goes, do you have any problems seeing far? And I go, no. I go, not really. And he says, well, would you like to try these? You might like it when you go to movies or if you're driving. I go, sure, you know, I'll, I'll give him a shot. So I go back a couple weeks later. He's got some progressive lenses for me. And, and I'm looking at him, and I'm like, whoa, dude, because there's, you know, and you put them on, and, you know, up at the top I can see far and up mid here and then low, you know. I, but I'm, I'm literally learning how to walk again going out because it was just trippy, you know. Well, I get out into MacArthur Mall back when it was flowing with people, and I get into this thoroughfare, and I lift up the glasses, and I'm in shock of how much I really was missing in my sight. When I put it back down, I couldn't believe how far I could see down into the mall. People with 20-20 can't relate. I get it. I understand. But with me in these glasses, I just could not believe the difference that was going on in my vision. And I think that we can all look back at the time that when Jesus came into our lives. And, and, and I, I've shared my testimony before. I'm not talking about... When I, when I first accepted Jesus as my Savior, it was, it was the two or three years after when I finally fully committed in. That when Jesus came into our lives, before Christ it was, this is how I see it. This is what is truth to me. And then we encounter Christ, and for the first time in our lives, we see things as they really are. You see, in Acts 9, what we read is, is that Ananias gets visited by Jesus. Three, three days later, and he goes, I need you to go to Paul, and I need you to put your hands on him because he's about to set the world on fire. And Ananias is going, Lord, do you not know who you're telling me to go pray for? Because this dude is going to kill me if I go into his presence. And, and Jesus says, no, I need you to go and do this. So in Acts 9, 17, it says that Ananias left and found the house where Saul was. He went inside and laid his hands on him, saying, Saul, my brother, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me to pray for you so that you might see again and be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. All at once, a crusty substance that was over Saul's eyes disappeared, and he could see perfectly. In the Greek, 
that see perfectly part is actually not just speaking to the physical healing. It's also speaking to the, uh, the, the, the spiritual miracle. That all of a sudden, for the first time, Paul or Saul is seeing it as it really is. It says immediately. Everybody say immediately. He got up and was baptized. And after eating a meal, his strength returned. And within the hour, he was in the synagogues preaching about Jesus and proclaiming Jesus is the Son of God. So Jesus has knocked him on his tail on the road to Damascus, blinds him. They have to escort him into the city. He's staying with some people he does not know. And three days later, Ananias comes in, who is scared to death of him, but is now calling him brother, prays for him, and it says all at once this stuff falls off his eyes. Now he's seeing physically and spiritually clearer than he's ever seen before, and it says that within the hour, he is in the synagogues preaching Jesus. Saul, who we read of in chapter 8, verse 1, and chapter 9, verse 1, that all he's spewing is murder and, 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 and wanting to crush the way of God, the way of Christ, and now he's in the synagogues preaching Jesus. Did you know that that, that that seeing perfectly also in the Greek refers to Matthew 20, verse 32 through 33 says this, when Jesus heard them, talking about this group of blind people, he stopped and called, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said, we want to see. And Jesus felt sorry for them and touched their eyes, and instantly they could see, and then they followed him. That in the same way that it's written, that we read of in Acts, that here in Matthew, that same word is talking about not only were they physically healed, but spiritually, something had impacted them that, that now they want to follow him. And it was the same for me. I had areas in my life that I was blind to. I wasn't seeing clearly. And all I wanted to do once he, once he came into my life is that I wanted to follow him. Now I see that Jesus loves me. Now I see the areas of my life that I had become blind to. Now I see the differences that he has made in my life and in those that, who love him. I can see clearly now, and I want to live for him. I want to be like, I, I, this is what I would want to, I, I believe it would be for all of our hearts, is to be like that blind man that Jesus heals, and the Pharisees bring him into the Sanhedrin, before the Sanhedrin, and they're challenging him. They're challenging him on this healing, and they're, and they're yelling at him, who is this Jesus? Who does he say he is? Why did he choose you? You know, don't you know that he's just a sinner? And this blind man is sitting, or who used to be blind, is sitting there listening to them, and they're expecting that he's going to throw them, throw Jesus under the bus because of this pressure, and listen to the response of the blind man. I love it. John 9.25, he said this, all I know is that I was blind and now I can see for the first time in my life. Basically, this is what he said. You can say whatever you want about my Jesus, but he is the only one who has the power to do what he has done for me. I can finally see because of him. My second thought, when we encounter Jesus, he, he begins to radically transform our lives, and we go from blind to seeing and from desperation to, to breakthrough. 
Guys, listen, we, we have gone through chapters of our lives where some of us have been desperate for love. We've had those that have been desperate for truth or just to belong to something or even this right here, which I had a lot of friends in California when I led them to Christ, this was their biggest thing. They just wanted to know that there was something out there bigger than they were, something that they could believe in. And here's the honest thing about breakthrough is, is that breakthrough is actually a military concept. Did you know that if um, you go with a force, a, a force, a military force, and you go in and you take an area, and you meet no resistance, that's not breakthrough. Breakthrough in war only matters if it occurs at a strategic location. And what I mean by that is that the enemy will do everything that they can to hold on to that stronghold. And when you think about that spiritually, and, and, and this is a truth that I'm about to share with you, that today, that I believe that God is going to do breakthrough for a lot of people in this place, but I want you to know something, that as soon as that enters your heart, that you want breakthrough, that you're desiring breakthrough in your life, the enemy is going to do everything that they can to go to where is that strategic location in your heart. What is it, you guys? Is it, is it, is it loneliness? Is it depression? Is it, is it addiction? Is it, is it um, uh, 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 you're struggling with faith or whatever that is? The enemy is going to go and they're going to they're mount up in an area that they are going to try to hold on to. Because here's the truth. When God moves, Satan always responds. And we know this. We know that this happens because in Daniel, it's an amazing story of how powerful the warfare is against our prayers. In, Jan in Daniel chapter 10, there's uh, a vision that has been given to him, but he can't, he can't, he can't interpret it. So he, he cries out to God to help him interpret this vision. And in Daniel 10 verse 12, it says, Then he said, this is the angel, Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray, for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. This is exactly what we've been talking about in all the scriptures that we've read, where it said since the very, uh, since, um, the very first day, when it comes out of your mouth, or at that moment, or instantly, it was as soon as he opened up his mouth, he was heard in heaven. He says, I have come to answer your prayer, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. And then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. And now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future for this vision concerns a time yet to come. Guys, let me say this and just let this resonate with you just a little bit. God is invading what Satan considers his territory. When we pray for breakthrough, I'm not saying that you are a follower of Satan. I'm saying that when you pray for breakthrough, God is invading what the enemy thinks is their territory. I, can guarantee, I, I know, I can look back at my life when I was away from God, I had given the enemy a lot of territory in my heart and my life. And when God began to come back and to take back what the enemy had stolen, he was invading what the enemy considered their territory. I think of Saul. His Hebrew name is Shaul. And, and he ends up taking the name Paul or, or Paulus. 
And, and the thing is, is, it's not like what happened with Peter where Jesus looks at him and says, uh, your name will no longer be Simon, it will be Cephas or Kepha, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. Really what happened with Saul was, is that um, he decides to take Paulus because he knew who the people he was going to be ministering to, and it was going to be an easy name for him to come into that culture. You guys, here's the thing is, Luke begins to call Saul Paul, I think it's in chapter 13. And then from that time on, no matter what you read in the, in the New Testament, he is known as Paul. Peter called primarily to the Jews, and Paul was called primarily to the Gentiles. You'll find that in Galatians chapter 2. But can you imagine the quake that went through hell when Saul gave his life to Jesus? Can you imagine the tremor that rocked the gates of hell when that young man gave his heart to Jesus Christ? That, 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 that God had invaded a territory that the enemy considered theirs, and it was ripped away from them. And guys, here's the thought. God begins to take back what the enemy had stolen. All Saul was desperate for in his past was knowledge and power the law, and death to the way. And now because of the miracle breakthrough, all he is desperate for is Jesus, truth, love, and pushing back and closing the gates of hell. Not that one person would go to hell and miss Jesus. And no sooner has the power of the Holy Spirit began to increase, and Saul is walking out this breakthrough. Guys, check this out. Just three verses later, when it says that he was in the synagogues preaching Jesus, three verses later, it tells us that the Jews of Damascus are now wanting to kill Saul. Think about this reversal. Say with me here. Y'all seeing this? This is the man in chapter 8, 9, and, and leading up to 10 that all he's doing is wanting to murder those who are of the way. And now because he has accepted Jesus in his life, now the Jews of Damascus are wanting to murder him. Saul went from speaking death, this, this, this is going to come up for you, to walking out his breakthrough, speaking life. He went from speaking death to speaking life. So when we experience breakthrough in our lives, it's important for us to praise God for the victory. Give me an amen. To thank God in advance for your breakthrough in your life. How many times do we read of from Paul in the New Testament, where he is looking back at his past, and he's thankful for what God is doing in his life. Second Chronicles chapter 20, it makes me think of the story. Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat is, is about to face three massive armies. He is totally outnumbered. You would even say it this way, that on paper, there was no way the Israelites should ever win this battle. And it says in Second Chronicles 20, 21 through 22, it says, after consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. So, so what they're doing is, is they are thanking God ahead of time for the victory. They are thanking God ahead of time for the breakthrough. It says at the very moment, this is what we've read all day today, all at once, instantly, immediately, 
since the first day. At the very moment they began to sing, as soon as they opened up their mouths and they began to praise him, the breakthrough had already begun. It says that they began to sing and gave praise, and the Lord caused the armies of Ammon and Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. Here's what we know. Two of those armies turn on one, destroy them, and then those two turn on each other and destroy each other. It says in Scripture that it took the Israelites three days to, to come and collect all of the valuables and the treasure that was left behind. It says that, it, and it was there that was, it used to be a stronghold, was now a place of blessing and breakthrough. To this day, if you go to Israel, you can go to a place where they still call the valley of blessing. You see, God is going to take back what the enemy has tried to claim as his territory. Give me an amen. And he will turn your darkest seasons into light, and he will restore the valleys where all there was was hurt or sorrow or regret or shame. And he will turn that into a valley of blessing where you will find forgiveness, favor, and breakthrough. God is going to take us from a place of desperation into a place of breakthrough. I want to get into this third and final thought that when we encounter Jesus and he begins to radically transform our lives, we will go from blind to seeing, from desperation to breakthrough, and from death to life. From death to life. My grandpa Shaw, when he gave his heart to Jesus, took his last breath not too many weeks after that. And that he would live his whole life and everybody just assumed that he was a believer in Christ. But that in his last breath, he was able to go from this place of death to this place of life. You know, we've been in Ephesians chapter 4 all three weeks. And I want to go back into it in Ephesians 4. Now remember, who's writing this? This is Paul. Okay? This is Paul. Ephesians 4, 21 through 24. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him... Throw off your sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And then in verse five, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, and skipping to 14, he says, imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live. Everybody say Live. Live. He says, live a life filled with love and following the example of Christ, for the light makes everything visible. Church, I want to say this. I want to speak this into your life. Live. Live, live the way that God has designed you to live while you're on planet Earth. Not to waiting until you go into eternity, but to live. To live life. And this is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And then in 1 Corinthians, Paul, still writing these words, chapter 15, 51 through 55, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. 
Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Come on, let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Come on. Like, wow. Think about this. Wow, Saul, who became Paul. A radically transformed life, once a, a violent man, a, a, a persecutor bent on destroying the followers of the way, and he has now become a follower and a preacher of the way. It is a testament of the radical, transforming touch of Jesus Christ. And the Bible is very clear that Jesus had been working on Paul for some time. Now let's go back to Acts 9. Remember when we talked about the goads? Guys, look at this. He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Goads is not a word we walk around using. A goad was a tool that the farmer used. On one end, he would use it to clear debris or to get mud off of the plow blade. And then the other one had a sharp, jagged point that he would turn around and he would poke the oxen in their tails to kind of get them moving, to keep them, keep them focused on what they're doing. But what we know about the oxen are is that they're, they're a strong beast. And they would, when they, sometimes when they would get poked, they would kick. And they would kick against this rod that's sticking them, but it would actually inflict more injury on them because they're kicking against the goads. And I just believe in my heart as we close this today that Jesus is challenging us, that Paul is challenging us, that you've been kicking against me for a long time and you've only created more pain for yourself. And I just feel like Jesus is saying this, isn't it time for you to fully surrender? Isn't it time that you would just allow me to lead? Does this speak to anybody here today? that you've been kicking, you've been resisting for too long and Jesus is just trying to get your attention. How amazing it is when the Holy Spirit works and the encountering of Christ comes in and we start to begin to experience this chain in us, change in us, where he removes the ugliness, he removes the shame and the fear, transforming us more and more from the old to the new that we begin to consistently pursue Christ every day committed and becoming like him. Just as King David says right here, but one final scripture, Psalm 17, 15. As for me, I will be vindicated when I see your face, when I awake, when I am transformed, when I am renewed, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. A radically transformed life. Not a country club Christian, not a CEO, not a God in country, not a Bible Belt country. A radically transformed life that recognizes that I was blind, but now I can see that I am desperate for a breakthrough in my life. That my encounter with Christ brought me from death unto life. Thank you, God, for your son. Thank you, Jesus, for my life. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for your resurrection. And thank you, three in one, for life eternal. God, thank you. So church, in our mission statement, it says that we want to see people experience radically transformed lives. In week one, we went into repentance. You know, there could be some of us in this room, I know I was just like this, that need to repent. 
Because I promise you, revival, awakening, all these things will not happen in your life until you repent and give that to God. And we did that in week one. We came to God and we repented. In week two, we, we sat at the feet of Jesus. We just came down here and we just sat at his feet to be clothed in, in the armor of God and just to be in our right minds before him. And today, I just feel like I want to speak this into you, that if you are blind to an area of your life, and the Holy Spirit is beginning to reveal this to you, I'm praying that the Lord is going to help you today. That if you are here today and you're needing breakthrough, or you're desiring to live a radically transformed life, or you just need to give thanks for what God is going to do, without raising your hand, how many of us came here today and you already know of a miracle that you need in your life? I want you to know that as soon as you begin to thank him, and as soon as you begin to open your mouth, instantly God is going to move on that miracle for you. I believe that, I'm trusting in that, and, and I'm going to proclaim this over you. Healing, maybe it's for your marriage, maybe it's for your finances, maybe it's because some, God is gonna bring somebody to you that you're gonna tell them about his son, but you're gonna need him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Heavenly Father, thank you for your people. God, thank you for your message today. Thank you for the worship this morning. And Lord, I'm just praying that, Lord, that as, as your spirit is here with us, as your presence is with us, and, and we are feeling this, we are understanding that it's you. God, I pray if there's anybody here today that needs a breakthrough in their life, anybody today that needs a miracle in their life, that you are going to meet them. We have a prayer team that is ready to pray with them, dear God. But Lord Jesus, you are going to meet them. I, I, I believe just as it was with Saul and with Paul, God, that instantly, that, that, that immediately, as we read in Scripture, that, dear God, that as they come into your presence and as they begin to open up their hearts to you, you are going to take them into breakthrough. Satan, you have no power over our lives. You, you have no authority here. We give our hearts to Christ. We give our hearts to the one and only true King. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're going to do. And we give you all thanks and praise. With every head bowed and eye closed, you say, Pastor Matt, I just want to lift my hand because I do need a miracle. Anybody here? Come on. Yeah. Put your hands down. Is there anybody here who would say, Pastor Matt, I need a breakthrough in my life? Is there anybody who would be honest about that? Come on. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So let's all stand together. Let's stand together. This is what we're going to do. Worship team is going to begin to sing. Evie's going to begin to just lead us in a time of praise and worship. I'm going to encourage you to do this. We've been doing it every week. If you need breakthrough and you need a miracle, show God you're serious. Let's come down here. Let's pray together. I want to pray with you. The prayer team is going to want to pray with you. But let's just move. Let's move. God is the breakthrough God. Amen. So let's go in.